Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. This morning, we are uh, finishing out our, our uh, series called 6-8, and the last few weeks we've been just kind of dissecting and, and really trying to uh, ask ourselves, what is it that the Lord requires from Micah 6-8, which is the Lord has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? And so a few weeks ago, we spoke on justice and what does justice require. Last week, we talked about mercy and what it means to love mercy and uh, posed the question, why do we neglect mercy? And so this morning, uh, we'll, be, we'll be diving into humility and what that looks like, what it means for our lives. If you didn't, if you missed the last two Sundays, would highly encourage you just to go and, and listen and check that out, just to get the full view of this passage. It is extremely challenging, uh, but I promise that if you listen, if you take it to heart, if you ask God to reveal himself in this passage, uh, it'll be life-changing for you. So go back and listen to that if, if you missed. So this morning, we are talking about humility and walking humbly with our God. And I'll be honest with you, this was a, this was a tough one for me to actually put down on paper. Uh, you know, I probably overthought this and I, you know, you just, you just stare at something for so long, then it's all confusing. And, uh, and then I'm a procrastinator. And so that just, you know, that's never a good thing when, you know, just, just to, to not have anything. And, and I just was getting to the point where I was just ready. Like I was like, all right, here's, here's my message. Be humble, sit down, mic drop, like dismissed, right? You guys are out of here. And like, that was, that was my dream of humility. This is, this was going to be our message. And, and I, you know, we, we're not, we're not going there this morning, but humility, the reason is there's so many different avenues. There's so many different, uh, you know, passages in scripture where we can talk about humility. It's like, well, which way are we going to take it? You know, we, we see so many different examples with Jesus washing the disciples' feet, a woman who anoints Jesus by washing his feet with her hair, and then James, the brother of Jesus. If you're a brother of God, that's a humbling position for you to be in, right? And what did God, though, what did he, what did he mean when he said, I want you to walk humbly with him? What was the prophet Micah getting at in this passage? Because if you look at it, do you really need justice or do you need humility to really carry out justice or mercy? You know, if, if I decide that I, you know, I see someone who's homeless on the street and I'm going to give them a meal, is there humility? If there's no humility in that, um, you know, let's say I, I give them, I give them the meal, but then like I want a selfie and I want to you know, just blast social media with it. And, you know, there's probably not much humility in my act, but, you know, the, the person still receives mercy on, on some level, right? I mean, there's some sort of compassion. Is, he, is the person receiving justice? I mean, I, that, that's, you know, that's, that's a little bit harder. Am I restoring dignity by just, you know, calling someone out in a, in a rough time? I, I don't know. 
But these are the things that my, you know, welcome to the brain of Morgan. These are the things that I, that I just struggle with. And, I, and I'm going, well, why, why humility? Why, 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 do we, why do we need this? There's, you know, there's three requirements that God gives. Why humility? And so that's what uh, we are, are going to talk about this morning. This forgotten virtue. You know, I, humility, it's, it's, I don't, is it even relevant today? Because, you know, we don't see it very often in our culture. I don't find, you know, humility in the work training manuals, right? I don't see it in the code of ethics in schools. I certainly don't see it in politics, right? From the top down. We're just full of ego. But the Lord requires us to walk humbly with him. So we need to pray. Because I need prayer. And we're going to ask, Lord, would you come? Would we be open to your word and to your truths? Thank you, Jesus, for being the best model and example of a humble servant. Would you infect our hearts with humility this morning? Humbling ourselves to be more like you. Understanding in a full and holistic approach of doing justice and loving mercy and gluing it all together in humility. Understanding that as we seek you, our duty is to also seek others in this process. That our relationship with you and what we are bound in humility, we are also to humble ourselves for others. In every act of worship, even offering that we're, God, that you would, that you would humbly provide for the needs of our community. That it would go towards restoring justice and mercy. And we ask these things in your holy name. Amen. So humility. How do we practice humility? Well, first off, we need to know what humility is. So I, you know, went to the interwide web of dictionary.com. And humility is defined as to lower in condition, importance, or dignity. It's to destroy the independence, power, or will that's a that's a rough one to make meek patient and submissive and so this morning for the remainder of the time i'd like to look at ways that we can practice and apply humility into our own lives and so the first one is listening to understand and understanding to learn you know today's culture and political climate it's so easy to take up offenses 
We are quick to be angry rather than being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. And we see all of this stuff going on around us. And, you know, I am all for good conversation, even in politics. And I, I personally love a, a good debate um, and, and, and dialogue on where we're going as a society and all that fun stuff. But the slander and the name-calling that we see on Twitter and Facebook and just social media in general is a false activism. And it's not all of it, but a lot of it is even sinful. And then we wonder why, you know, cyberbullying exists and it's this like thing with the younger generations, but (laughs) the older people, we're doing the same thing, right? Why would we expect any less? of the younger generations when we are modeling something that is so egotistical. And I don't know if we really want to talk to people anymore. I I think we we want to uh, converse for the sake of conversion. And we're not conversing for communication. You know, you can communicate with someone, but you can still be inept in that dialogue. Putting it another way, it's false to assume that communicating um, with someone is actually talking to someone. You know, just because you speak doesn't mean that you're actually communicating. I mean, if you've ever zoned out in a class, you know, with your teacher... Someone's communicating, but nothing is actually being done or said, right? When you doze off during Marty's message, tune out for a minute, right? Someone's talking, but there's no communication. And last week, we talked about neglecting mercy because we are seeing issues and not faces. And the challenge for all of us was to go into those areas that that um, are... Are dis- uh, that cause us discomfort and, and, and to be with other people for empathy and to have, to learn mercy and to, to receive a tender heart. But instead, we see issues and we see the need to be right. You know, we, we, are, a, we are a right society. We've got to be right about politics. We have to be right about parenting. We're right about the way we handle our finances and we're right about the way we speak to each other and we're right about you know, where we drink our coffee or whatever. And we've justified essentially what is right by what we want. And by constantly wanting to be right, we are neglecting humility. And it distorts our communication with each other because what we end up doing is we just want to convert someone. We just want to push our agenda and our opinions on other people. Let me tell you why I'm right. Let me tell you why this matters more. We stop listening. We just wait for someone else to be done talking so that we can get the reply, we can get the rebuttal, we can get the last word. This is why I'm right. My ego is larger than yours. 
Ed Cook is, uh, he's running the foundations class that uh, is happening during first service, and I have the privilege to meet with him pretty frequently. And a few months ago, we had this great dialogue on, on, on conversation and, and communication, and it, it came from this book, The Miracles of Dialogue by Rule L. Howe. Um, they don't even, like, print copies of it anymore, so you have to, like, buy them from libraries. Um, so it, there, it's, it's, a, it's a hard book to find, but it's worth the read if you can find it. And this book, there's, we were talking, Ed and I, about four types of communication. The first one being diatribe. This is the lowest form. Diatribe is just when you dump on someone. It's like when your best friend has had a bad day and they just verbally vomit on you, right? We've all been the vomiter and we've all been the vomitee. I don't know if that's a word, but you know, you get what I'm saying. The second is debate. It's just about simply trying to win and be right or more right than the other person. The third one is discussion, which this is the one that we probably get caught in and we never get to to the highest form of communication. But discussion is, I want you to understand where I'm coming from. You know, I I want you to... uh, I want you to know why I'm right. I want you to hear me. I need you to listen to me. I, 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 ego, 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 right, 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 right. So, correct. So, the uh, fourth one is dialogue. And I'm convinced that if we were to get to dialogue as the highest form of communication, that it would revolutionary change. It would, it would just be revolutionary amongst our culture, amongst our church, amongst our families. Because dialogue isn't let, I want you to understand me, it's I want to understand you. I want to know where you're coming from in this. And most of us, we don't get to dialogue because we refuse to lay our need to be right down. But what if we laid that down? And what if we sought out understanding instead? It would cause us to express an immense amount of humility to choose not to have the last word. And let me, let me back up a little bit. Dialogue doesn't mean that you are just conforming to someone else's belief because you have to listen to that. It doesn't mean that dialogue uh, and you end up in the same exact place. But dialogue expresses a level of humility where it says, you know what, I care about you more than I care about my opinion. And so I, wanna, I, want, I want a tender heart. I want to empathize with you. I want to love mercy in this conversation. That's, that's what dialogue is. And unfortunately, unfortunately we, just, we seem to, to miss the mark on that. And, you know... Here's the other thing. It it means that there's a refusal to leave the room when you're upset or when there's an opposing belief. It means that you are giving someone the benefit of the doubt, that their intentions are good and maybe you just misunderstood what they were saying and you'll choose to keep listening to hear them out. It means being Christ-like. It means... Humility. It means trying to have a tender heart. And again, it means that you may not get the last word. And we need to come to this understanding that nobody in this room, 
when we face God one day is going to be right. We will all be wrong on some level. Right? Who can fully understand? Who can fully know the thoughts of God? It's not me. It's not you. So why, why are we stuck on this rightness? Proverbs 18.2 says, Fools have no interest in understanding. They just want to air their own opinions. And we already talked about James, that you know we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. But when you're ready to listen and truly listen, you have to be prepared to learn. Learning does not negate where you stand on something. It might change or twink, tweak it. I don't know what twink would be, but you know, maybe it'll twinkle at you. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't negate you know, where, where you stand on something. Learning is power, right? We say education and knowledge is power, but when it comes to someone else's other side, we don't want to hear it. And so you, you don't have to come to a full agreement But you'll learn why someone believes the way that they do. You can empathize. You can have that tender heart. And hey, that's a win. That's a win in the kingdom because that's mercy. But you can't get there without humility. And, you know, I am convinced that no matter how different you are, whether it is black and white, you know, straight, LGBTQ, or Christian, Muslim, whatever it may be, I am convinced that you can always find a truth between you and another person. Because guess what? You're human. Made from the same stuff, right? Your creator is my creator. And for that, there's a commonality. There's a truth between us. And if we just could humble ourselves enough, maybe there would be something to learn and to understand. Humility isn't about the need to be right. Proverbs 18, 15 says, intelligent people are always ready to learn. Their ears are open for knowledge. Essentially, this is not about you. It is about someone else. And it is about God. And it's listening to understand and listening for the sake of empathy and for the sake of mercy to give to another person. It's listening for more than hearing, and it's intentionally seeking to understand where someone is coming from, and it's learning from others, and it's learning from their experiences. And humility, it's oftentimes uh, we choose, it's a discipline not to speak. I challenge you this week, whether it be through social media or through, you know, real life conversation with an actual human being, you know, choose... Make the choice not to get the last word. And just listen. You know, and on, on, on Facebook, that, mean, that might mean, you know, delete, 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 delete. You just let it ride. You just, not my monkey, not my circus. Let it ride. Intentionally withhold your tongue. Are you listening with a humble heart? What does the Lord require of you? Let's just pause and have a moment to reflect on that. What does the Lord require of you?
God, would you continue to humble our hearts? Another way to practice humility is to get low. Get low, right? A couple years ago, I had the privilege of uh, going to Greece and uh, got to visit a, a Greek monastery, which was awesome. And they uh, they had the the you know the rooms. We didn't get to go in the monks' rooms. That would be a total invasion of privacy, right? Uh, but we did get to like see the outside of the rooms, and their doors were so they were like these little tiny doors for ants. They were like they they were shorter. Like the doors were literally shorter than me. And I was thinking, why are they so short? And why haven't they fixed this problem? And, you know, clearly there was like a, a mismeasurement or something, in, you know, in the original plans. And, and they missed a few feet or something. Or, you know, I was like, man, people were just really short back then, right? I didn't know. So I asked my friend who, I said, Lou, what, what's the deal with this? Why are these doors so short? These poor little monks. And uh, he said, well, they're that way intentionally. And it's because every time that a, a monk leaves his room, before he enters into any sort of ministry, any conversation with another person, any interaction at all, he has to bow. I thought, oh. that's humbling. Every single time they go into the house of worship, they go into communion with each other, they go to eat, they go to pray, anytime they leave the room before the day even starts, their, their posture, their physical demeanor is one that says, God, I bow to you and I submit. We have to learn to get low. Humility is to lower in condition and importance and dignity. And, you know, the Israelites, they found themselves to where they had this, this higher than, this, this superior sort of demeanor. And Micah knew this when he prophesied, you know, to walk humbly with your God. And he's reminding them that Humility is the glue that binds justice and mercy together. You have to walk humbly with me because this is not about yourself. You are no better than your neighbor. And if you want to be like me, you're going to learn how to, you need to learn how to get low. The message version in Philippians 2, I love this, looking at the life of Jesus Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of the status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of slave and became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death of that, crucifixion. Paul reminds us in Romans 12, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Do not think you are better than you really are. Be honest and humble in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. 
It's the same message from Micah 6.8 that he carried out and is seen throughout the entire Old Testament. That true humility is a lifestyle. It's not a, it's not a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle of commitment, of continually reminding ourselves that we are no better than the person to the left or the right or the front or the back of us. And that we are continually supposed to be submitted to Christ. It's easy to start getting frustrated with people when, you know, they're not where you want them to be, especially, you know, in their, in their spiritual walk. But if you think back, if you remember, did you start out as a perfect Christian? Are you one now? No, right? We're all works in progress. And we have to remember that about people. We have to remember that about ourselves. Because humility is a continual expression of that. That we are no better than ourselves, and we certainly aren't better than God. Christ's ultimate example is getting low, and it's sacrificing his life for the sake that we might live. He washed dirty, stinky, poopy feet, guys and girls. He washed feet when his feet should have been the one washed. He chose to get low. Peter probably had bunions. Andrew probably had a foot fungus. John had two toes. It's not in the Bible, but I would think John would be the, the weird, wacky guy, right? Um, so we get for eating locusts. So anyway, Christ went low so you could gain. Are you living a life that lowers your own importance to someone else so that they can be lifted into dignity? Because that's what Christ did for you. What does the Lord require of you? Take a moment to chew on that. God, we submit to you. One of the greatest acts of humility is surrender. And we see that with Jesus Christ. But to surrender your life to him is probably the greatest act of humility you could ever, the, the greatest decision you could ever make and the most humbling of experiences. Declaring him as kingship and Lord over your life. It's submission and it's becoming a servant. It's losing self, dying to self, losing your ego. And I know it's a backwards, upside down, you know, paradox of of the gospel that you have to lose your life in order to find it. I get it. It doesn't make any, any sense. I'm still trying to figure it out. I think we all are. But here's what happens in John 13. Jesus says, I washed your feet. Now you need to go wash in others. That the humble submit and that they walk in a life of humility with God. Have you submitted to Christ? Because if you've submitted to Christ, 
that also means that you've submitted and you serve others. Think about this. Your feet are clean and Christ are dirty. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. It's this, it's this perfect description of, of what was going to happen on the cross that you could be clean and that he would take upon the sin and the shame and the guilt so you can be cleansed, so that I can be cleansed. And we, we, we walk around with, with clean feet and our saviors are dirty. And it's because he chose to serve and not to be served. And you have a choice to make. If you've had your feet washed, God says, Jesus says, go and wash someone else's feet. You know, there are some great people in our church that are phenomenal servants, and I want to hit this real quick before we close out. I just want to point them out. Mike Schusler is a guy who comes in every week, doesn't get paid to do it, but he comes and he, he cleans this entire building, sometimes more than once. And he picks up your trash and he vacuums your crumbs and he cleans the bathrooms, which have been more dirty than usual lately. And he gets no recognition for it. He wants no recognition for it. But he does it because he has submitted his life to Christ and he walks humbly enough that he knows, I will do this for the kingdom. Trust me, it's not because he enjoys picking up after you or me. He humbly steps in. Greg Dilsaver, probably hear about him in the weeks to come, picks up aluminum cans from uh, some of the surrounding Dutch bros. And, you know, people have thought he's homeless picking through the trash. People have talked negatively uh, behind his back, but still within earshot, which is always uncomfortable to be in. He digs through trash so other people don't have to dig through trash. Like, do you get that? Do, do, do you feel the sense of humility that that takes? So that he, he goes, he doesn't need to, but he goes and he picks out cans from trash that they are stinky, guys. Like, you should not drink energy drinks. They smell really bad. And he's, he stinks so that someone else can receive dignity. That's humility. You want to know about humility? Because you're pastor. You'll, you know, you guys will never know, I'll never know, the amount of humility it takes from Marty to serve you. Things that are above his pay grade, his job description, manual labor, I've seen him clean bathrooms, I've just seen him do really dirty things. And you know why he does it? Because he doesn't want you to do it. As a leader, he would rather take that upon himself. That's humility. This is humility. This is servanthood. And we have to step into that or we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to step into that? Because that's what the Lord requires of us. 
Have you submitted to God? Are you washing feet as your feet have been washed? If you could all stand, we're going to close with this. Humility, guys, it orients yourself towards both God and your neighbor. And that God's call for action to be in a relationship with him is also the same call to be in relationship with others. So one deeply affects the other. Just like, um, you know, when Jesus was questioned, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. It wasn't do this and, you know, and then go do this. They were interconnected. You, could, you can't love God and not love others. You can't not love others and love God, right? That's what Jesus said. They're, they're intertwined. They cannot be separated. This is the same thing with Micah 6.8. Humility and mercy and justice, they're glued together. You can't have one and not the other. You can't walk humbly with God and not be willing to walk humbly alongside other people. You can't have mercy shown to you by Jesus and then not give mercy to other people. This is the gospel message. This is Micah 6, 8 in its, in its fullness. That we have to be a people that seeks Christ wholeheartedly and also seeks others wholeheartedly or else we're missing out on the fullness of life that Christ has come to give. So we're going to end. Mike, if you could throw up the scripture of Micah 6, 8, it was towards the beginning. We're just going to, we did this last week. We're going to read it all together and then we'll, we'll close out. Micah 6, 8, the Lord has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. What does the Lord require of you? That's the question. And I hope that you have been challenged by the words, the calling of God that he's put on your life, knowing that you can rise to that occasion because he has imparted in you potential. But what does the Lord require of you? In justice, in mercy, and in humility. Would love to pray for you. Would love to have someone else pray for you. If there's things that have been stirring within you, please, I, would, I really want to have that dialogue. So with that being said, I bless you guys. Have a great Sunday, and we will see you next week.